if we look at it in this crowd here, you're all a bunch of failures. So am I. <laughs> I look in the mirror. I'm a failure. I Michael Jordan missed more shots than he made. Steve Jobs was thrown out of Apple at one point in time because he was a failure. Everybody fails. If you're the only way you don't fail is if you sit like a slug, you know, like this. Don't, don't do, do anything, anything, right? But yeah. if you're doing something, you're gonna fail at it. The key is, what do you do next? Welcome to the In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and today we are recording from the main stage of the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization International Conference. CEO is the premier organization for student entrepreneurs from around the world. I'm talking with Mike DeLazer, co-founder of Redbox and serial entrepreneur in the automated retail space about the challenges and rewards of entrepreneurship. During our conversation, we dive into the importance of hard work, building relationships, and staying persistent, even in the face of failure. I hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? So, uh, Mike and I are excited to be here. I had the chance to meet a lot of you uh, a few days ago, but, but this is the first time, uh, maybe some of you met Mike last night, but maybe this is the first time you get to hear a little bit more about his story. So as uh, Ryan said, I'm the host of In Factor podcast. So we're doing an In Factor Live today, which is really fun. So we're recording this. We're going to give you a chance to ask. I'm going to ask a few questions. We're going to give you a chance to ask some questions. Our guest today is somebody I met several years ago when we had the chance to bring him to our university. And I love his story. He's an amazing storyteller. He's got a lot of stories, too. Some of it's true. And some of it's true. That's right. But like me, he's been doing this for a while. So as you get a little older, you accumulate a lot of stories. So part of it is just sticking around long enough. Right, Mike? Yeah. And but, if you get old enough, you start forgetting the stories or that you told <laughs> before. But Mike has been, in, you know, he's got a really interesting career because he's combined a lot of different uh, elements and and. You know, I mentioned the other day when I talked about my book that a lot of it's about learning. Entrepreneurship is about testing hypotheses. And so Mike has tested a number of hypotheses over the years, probably way more than I could even count. And many of them have been successful. And a lot of it in the, his first company was in the um, custom electronic and mechanical devices space which is very related to what he continues to do today. He then was the co-founder of Redbox, which you're familiar with. It had a different name, Get a Movie, I think it was. That's what we called it. That's what they called it, yeah. And then when they partnered with McDonald's, which is a fantastic story I hope he tells, uh, today in 2005, they created Redbox. And of course, that grew to an incredibly successful company, which I think you told me went public this week. Uh, I think a couple days ago. Yeah, a couple days ago. So interesting story there. He's been inducted into the Chicago Entrepreneur Hall of Fame. Great stories around that as well. And now he's working in, in the space of automated retail solutions for other products besides, um, besides movies. And I asked him yesterday, is automated 
retail solutions vending machines, which is what I've always called them. And basically, I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but but it gives you the chance to take control, right? Right. Of getting what you want, where you want it. So Mike, thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited to, to have you here. And I'm really excited to be doing uh, a live in factor at the 38th Global Conference of the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization. And a big shout out to James Zabrowski and Giles Hertz and their team and everything they've done. So, Mike, let's d- dig right in. Your, um, your talk today had in the t- title something about failure. So I know we want to get to that. Yep. But if you don't mind, I'd like to go back a little bit and ask you, because, you know, when you were sitting in a chair, school or about this age, were you thinking about being an entrepreneur? What what was kind of in your mind and where were you headed at that time? Yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of times, I think entrepreneurs are somewhat born, and, but also developed. Um, I think if you look out in the crowd and put their hands up, how many of you guys are prom queens or prom kings or you know, the favored son, or come from a, a stable background, uh, family-wise. Um, so none of those things I was. Um, and I think a lot of times entrepreneurs have a chip on their shoulder. They want to prove something that to other people, to people that uh, said, hey, you're not worth it, you know. And, uh, and to say, yeah, I am worth it. I can do stuff. You know, I can make a difference. And I think the best entrepreneurs I've met have had some of the worst upbringing. So, uh, you know. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes we have to, we can't listen to every, all the other people, right? Because. Yeah, and that's one thing that it helps when you're, no one's ever, you know, they're not always saying you're a great, you're the best or whatever. Because when you're an entrepreneur, you're not getting that feedback. So it's very easy to say that. Yeah, so what else is new? I've heard this before. You know, I've heard the, the naysayers, and I don't really care because you know I've heard it my whole life. So I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. So how did you start your first company, Codell Corporation? Tell us about that. Uh, yeah. So I was in. I owned part of an importing company in uh, Illinois, and uh, been there for 10, 12 years, and uh, just got tired of doing it for somebody else. And uh, the ownership was older and uh, older than me now. Uh, so uh, it was like, I'm killing myself for these people, making the money, and they're just saying thanks. So I felt like uh, you know, an indentured servant. So I decided to, uh, because I was doing all the work, sourcing of product in Asia and the development of the sales network in the US, and decided to uh, start my own company. And when I did, all the salesmen quit the other company and all the agents quit the uh, other company as well. They so they rea- all came with you. Yeah, because they realized that there was nothing when I wasn't there, you know, because I was the only face of the company they had known. So it was pretty easy to get moving. Yeah. And how many years did you run that company? It's actually still running, but it's kind of, you know, it's like, it if I have an, yeah, if I have an idea that I want to have manufactured in China, I'll send the specs to some, to my agent, and he'll send it, find a factory that can build it, and then uh, we develop something. But, uh, yeah, I ran that, uh, and 
you know, from 1996 to 2001, we started to mess around with uh, the DVD kiosk yeah. concept. And where did that idea come from? <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I keep saying my story is like a Forrest Gump story, but it's pretty much true. Uh, so we, we were making custom a custom speaker for a company in California, and uh, they liked the way it was going, and they wanted to talk to us about the second version of that product. And they happened to be, our, my company was in Illinois, so they, they were doing a show in, in Chicago, and they wanted to come and talk to us. And it was like early Monday morning. Eight o'clock in the morning, so for them it was really early. And uh, the two owners came, but they brought along their sales guy, and the sales guy was wired from the get-go. And it wasn't because he had too much coffee; uh, he was way, way out there. And we every time we would get on track talking about the next product, and he would come up and say something crazy, and I was like, you know, I'd laugh, and then we'd go on to. And then he happened to be sitting next to me, and he, he grabbed me by the arm, and he said, you should be in the DVD rental business. And I broke out laughing, and I said, uh, okay, I'll bite. I go, why should I be in the, I run an importing company. Why should I be in the DVD rental business? And he goes, I don't know. And he just moves on, you know, and I'm like, holy crap, what is that about? But, so I have a kind of mind that, you know, I don't sleep well. I'm, I'm up a lot during the night, and I'm, you know, 4.30 in the morning is my go-to time. I'm up usually. So all night long, I keep hearing this maniac say I should be in the DVD rental business and trying to contemplate exactly what that means, you know? It's like either the voice of a cokehead or the voice of God, and I wasn't sure which. So uh it was the weekend, so my son came back from college, and um, and this kind of rolls into the whole how we got started. But uh, we're sitting in a line at Blockbuster, and there's two high school kids screwing around behind the counter, and the line is 20 people long, and and I'm pretty hot-headed Italian, short-tempered guy. So after 10 minutes, I just screamed as loud as I could, "Help! I'm trapped in Blockbuster!" and <laughs> Everybody in line laughed, oh, funny, funny. And then uh, out of nowhere comes some, come some other teenager with a manager badge saying, sorry for the wait. And he walks away, which enraged me even more. And I said, oh, I can't help you. I can only, I can only say I'm sorry. I said, somebody should put you out of business. And I said, I'm going to put you out of business. And then everybody in line that was laughing two minutes earlier took three steps the other direction. They're like, this guy's losing it. My son, who's totally opposite of me, you know, while I'm screaming, my son's like this, take it easy, Dad, take it easy. <laughs> you know, Ryan was talking about how to get to the front of the line. That's another way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he wouldn't get in front of me. There's no way. It would be like, Hey, dude, get up 10 minutes early. I got here on time. Get your butt back in the back of the line. But that's me. So, so you came up, so uh, you had poor customer service, standing in line. The guy had planted that seed in your head. It's kind of like, um, you know, in my book when I talk about recognizing opportunities. Yeah, you see it. You start to see it, right? It starts to crystallize. Yes, but the, the original idea was not a machine. It was a, 
it was a little kiosk, you know, that we put in and we figured out oh, the only people that had DVD players, and you know, you guys are like, everybody has DVD players, but the only people that had them were people that had the high-end computers, the road warriors that were traveling all over the country selling, and they had DVD, you know, player in the, in the computer, and we figured, hey, we'll, we'll put these in airports, and then when these guys get on an airplane, because there weren't movies back then or anything else, they could watch a movie and uh, drop it off at the, uh, another location at another airport. So my partner and I work on this idea for a month, and we're fleshing out the kiosk operation and all that stuff, and I had to go from my importing business to San Jose, to visit a customer, and on the way back, I stopped at the airport to go home, and they said, uh, yeah, your plane's only four hours late. And, and again, I'm very, very impatient. So I'm like a caged animal in the airport, and I'm walking back and forth in the airport, and all of a sudden, I see this kiosk in front of me, and it's a kiosk renting DVDs. It's a company called In Motion. They're still in business, but they, they do accessories now. But I was like, son of a... Somebody stole my idea. So I called my partner back in Chicago. I said, hey, yeah, somebody's already got 10 locations and they're growing and, you know, we're toast. Move, we move on to the next, the next idea. So since I had four hours, I was just going to see how much money these guys, you know, were making with my brilliant idea. So I took a, <laughs> took a chair and sat across the aisle from where they had this thing. And I stood there for, sat there for, four hours watching these guys, you know, try to do business. And in four hours, they, they had three customers. And I was like, huh, thank, thank God, God I didn't, put, <laughs> this is a killer. I would have gone bankrupt in 10 minutes. But I happened to be sitting next to an ATM machine. And this is where the C comes in, okay? Yep. I'm looking at this guy losing his butt you know, with no business, and I'm next to an ATM machine where there's a steady line of people coming through, and there's absolutely nobody ticked off that the machine's not moving fast enough or whatever. The machine's doing what it's supposed to do, and maybe someone's a little upset. It takes a guy a little longer to do it, but it's there, and, and I'm looking like this, you know, ATM, kiosk, ATM, kiosk, and I go, it's a machine. It's got to... The only way this works is it's got to be a machine. So fly back home. First thing in the morning, I get in the office, and I tell my partner, Franz, I go, it's a machine. And he goes, what's a machine? I go, it's a machine. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, the DVD thing. It's got to be a machine. And he's like, you're right. It's got to be a machine. So he and I, we had this whiteboard in our office, and we started writing down everything that the machine had to do and how it would do it. And He's a mechanical engineer, and we would steal a pen from each other and write stuff down. And in a half, literally in a half hour, we designed Redbox from just saying it's a machine to the way it works, how it works, how it connects to the world and Love everything it. else. So Love it. So that you've connected the dots, which, right. you know, that's what entrepreneurs do. They recognize opportunities. Yep. A lot of other people could have been sitting there. And they would have said, oh, I'm going to go to the bar and have a drink. I'm going to do something else. We did that, too. But well, still, we yeah, but you were, curi you were curious, <laughs> which, uh, you know, is also, I think, a trait of a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs. So you were yeah, curious. The, other, the other nutty part about it is it is like a Forrest Gump story. So part of my electronics, we had this 
product line that we were making these flat panel speakers. You could hang them on walls and they, you couldn't tell they were speakers. They just, you could put them, anything you want on them. And we went to the, the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas and uh, won an award for innovation there. And on the way back, the plane is canceled again. So now I'm at the airport with my partner and, and the airlines looking for somebody to give up their seats. And we were like, we're already screwed anyway. So we, we gave up our seats and they gave us two tickets anywhere in the world. Now, we had no money in the company to do anything, but we did know that there was a company making some robotics in Italy. And like a week later, 9-11 hit and, you know, everything shut down. So um, because the, the tickets were, you had to be positive space, you could, you know, you... so I said, let's go to Italy. And, and everybody goes, are you crazy? We just had 9-11. I go, this is the safest time in the world to be flying. The place <laughs> is going to be armed to the teeth. So uh, we went to Italy and uh, bought our first couple of machines. Yeah. And then started tinkering around from there. Yeah. So again, you know, I, I, I keep bringing up this, this theory of see, do, repeat. But you saw that and you started to take action immediately. And you know, some people call it serendipity, but you were, you were prepared, you were already thinking about these things, they were coming together. But that whole process of getting this to work, because I know a little bit about the story, wasn't easy, was it? it and, and, and there were a lot of things along the way that you had to deal with. Yeah, I mean, uh, so we, we developed our own machine because the Italian machine was crummy. You know, I'm Italian, so I can say, Italians are really good with pasta, but not so great with technology. <laughs> but uh, we, div we, so this is part of the, again, the Forrest Gump story is that we had these machines from Italy out in a place, you know, several grocery stores in Chicago. And uh, we got an article written on Crane's Chicago business on us. And uh, uh, somebody knocks on my door and the guy says, I'm with a company called Selectron. Uh, Selectron is the biggest subcontractor in the world, and uh, we, this, this division in North Carolina just lost our biggest customer. It's a, a telecom company, and we built some robotic device for them. And we're looking for something to fill the factory, because it's this half a million square foot factory. And, uh, and the guy says, I like what you're doing. I go, we do too. So uh, we talked, and the guy, offered to do like a half a million dollars worth of uh, engineering for $50,000. Nice. Which is a deal. And, but the deal was that if we ever made a kiosk, they had to make it. So that was their hook. Okay. And I was more than happy to give them the hook because uh, I didn't have the money. So again, a guy shows up out of nowhere and says, I, I want to do this. So we start building this machine, and uh, you know it looks way different than the red box machine. It was blue and square and whatever, but and it was big. It was like held 900 DVDs. And uh, a couple months go by, and there's another knock on the door, and it's some guy from McDonald's Ventures. Now we're in Chicago. McDonald's is three miles from where we are. 
And this guy comes in and he says, I've traveled all over the world because we have this DVD rental company we we're trying to start. Traveled all over the world and I can't find the right product, the right technology. And I said, well, I think we have the right technology. And he says, well, that's what everyone says. And I said, yeah, I really don't care what you think. And the guy kind of looked at me like, that's not much of a sales, sales tool. <laughs> so, uh, but he went back and started looking at our machine and quickly was going, I've never seen this. What's that? I've never seen this. And within three minutes, he was out in the parking lot making a phone call and brought in, the next day, brought in the president of McDonald Ventures. And we started talking about developing the, you know, the business, their interest in it. But they were like, the, the machine has to have 500 uh, DVDs, not 900, like your machine. It's too large. And I said, no, 900 is the right number. And they're like, we're McDonald's. We've got all these marketing geniuses that do whatever. It's got to be 500. So they were given an edict by corporate that they had to have certain product in the field within 15 weeks. So they were giving us eight weeks to redesign from ground up a new product. And, you know, we worked like crazy to get it done. And in eight weeks, we had, we had the red box unit, but it didn't work. Uh, so we all went out to the manufacturing facility and they wanted to uh, see if the thing worked. And when we turned it on, it just, just sat there like a, like a refrigerator. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, looks really nice. Factory is really nice, but we have to have product in another 10 weeks or 10 or 12 weeks, and we can't go with you. We're going to go with an, an existing guy who's been building stuff for us already that's not great, but it's there. And uh, so I pretty much grabbed the guy by his lapel and said, you know, I killed myself for this for the last eight weeks. All these people did all this work. You owe me one more day. I said, back, I want you to back up your flight one more day, and by tomorrow, this will be working. And uh, the guy goes, okay. <laughs> so when he left, you know, everybody started trembling in fear because we all knew there was no way it was going to happen. It's just not possible. And, uh, you know, so we decided to figure out how we would get all these complex drivers to communicate. The hardware worked. It's just the software was glitchy and, you know, never really did what it was supposed to do. And we spent the whole night basically uh, writing new code. And we did. So you guys would think this is like, you know, every day, turn on your phone and show it, you know, hey, I'm talking to a guy in India. Well, back then, there was no Skype. There was no anything. So we had, we did something called a VPN, which we hooked a camera up, and a bunch of coders in India were looking at our machine, and every time it stopped doing something, we're like, oh, I think I know where that code is, and they would write a fix. So all night long, we fix, fix, fix. Nothing happens. So finally, the, the McDonald guy shows up, and says, uh, you know, well, and I, you know, I look at my partner, Franz, and he's like, mm, we're going down. Uh, so I said, uh, you know what, I could use some coffee, because I've been, at this point, I was up for 36 straight hours. And I, so they agreed, we had some coffee, and I, I go to Franz, get the new drivers in there right away. Um, 
so we came back after about a half hour and uh, uh, rebooted the machine. And all of a sudden, the machine started. You've never seen the inside of a Redbox machine. It's a bunch of platters, like nine platters that spin around to access what movie, what level. And all of a sudden, the thing starts to turn, which it had never, ever, ever done before. And uh, I said, holy shit. <laughs> and which inspired no confidence in our customer. But this thing does its routine and then stops. And, you know, the rent uh, return sign comes on the, on the graphic interface. And I was like, here goes nothing. So I pushed rent. And this thing then starts to fly around like, a, you know, you can hear, if you ever rented Redbox, you hear that noise. Well, that's the platters going, spinning around. And this platters are spinning around, and this picker goes up, grabs the DVD, pulls it, and vends it out. And I'm, I'm looking at this thing going, unbelievable. <laughs> so then I got cocky, and I said, I'm going to return it. So I push return, grabs it, it puts it away, and the machine shuts off. And I'm just kind of kind of looking at my machine going, this is cool, and, and kind of forgetting that there's people behind me. And when I turned around, the two guys from McDonald's were sitting there with their mouths wide open, like, and my partner was looking with his mouth wide open. And at that point in time, I realized everything had changed from the day before. The day before, they were in the driver's seat. I am now in the driver's seat, and I know it. So I turned on him and said, I go, you know what? You guys can do whatever you want. If you want to do business with us, fine. If you don't, that's fine too. Because you see our facility here, we can make 200 of these a week. I said, the guys you're going with can only do 50 a month. I said, and when you go out and look for money, people are going to go, that's a good idea. And money's going to come to us, and we will bury you with production. And you will be out of business in less than a year. I said, you have no other choice but to go with us. And the guy says, you're right. So we started to write the contract up. Awesome. But, so, so razor's edge, you know, you could die or live. Uh, but, and I, I don't want to monopolize the conversation, but people would constantly say to me, man, you were lucky. And I said, you are 100% correct. I am lucky, lucky guy. But... If I would have let those guys walk out the door the day before, not so lucky. So failure wasn't an option at that point, right? You were yeah. gonna keep going. <laughs> well, that's a perfect analogy. You only fail when you stop doing it, Yep. right? Yep, yep. And you look at Thomas Edison failed 6,000 times trying to find the right filament for the light bulb. Yeah, you gotta be pretty crazy to do that. I wouldn't do it, but you know. He just kept going and he figured it's got to work. Yeah, absolutely. So I love that story. And I've, I've heard you tell that before because it, you know, I think it, we, we started out our conversation talking about failure and what are you afraid of, right? That yeah. was kind of the, the you know, t talk about failure because I think that's a really important part. It's something I write about in See Do Repeat. And yeah. it's, it's really important part of the journey of being an entrepreneur, right? Yeah, I think, you know, if we look at it in this crowd here, you're all a bunch of failures. So am I. <laughs> I look in the mirror. I'm a failure. I, Michael Jordan missed more shots than he made. Steve Jobs was thrown out of Apple at one point in time because he was a failure. 
Everybody fails. If you're the only way you don't fail is if you sit like a slug, you know, like this. Don't, don't do, do anything, anything, right? But yeah. if you're doing something, you're going to fail at it. The key is, what do you do next? And I think the biggest killer of dreams in the world is fear. The fear of looking stupid, the fear of failure, fear of what people might think of you. And, you know, luckily for me, I didn't have Facebook or Twitter or anything else that people could, you know, weaponize failure. You know, there's, everybody can be snarky and throw bad comments at, at you from left and right. I don't belong to either of those. I don't care. So if, you know, if everybody in this place said, you know, saw this guy on stage, what, a what an idiot. I wouldn't know because I'm not in that ecosystem. I don't care. I don't care what you guys think. And that's what a good entrepreneur does. It doesn't care. It doesn't care. And fear is part of that. If you're, you're only afraid if, you've, if you think somebody's going to judge you. And if you don't put your idea out there, then there's no chance of failure and there's no fear. So you told me a great story before we came in here, I think. You know, we talked about... <laughs> I tell a lot about, of stories. Well, one of the stories one? you told me before you came in was about, you know, uh, uh, along the way, not everybody believed in a lot of things that you've done, oh, yeah. including Redbox. So you had a great story about, I think, about, about when you were seeking funding, right? Yeah, that, that and Karma. So, and Karma, yeah. Uh, so we went out looking for money for this concept. You know, it was more than a concept. It was an actual product. And before McDonald's showed up, we probably did 20, I would call them dog and pony shows, you know, where we're, here's what our machine can do, you know, blah, blah. Every person we talked to from New York to California to Chicago said, you're insane. There is no way that you can dislodge Blockbuster from their preeminence in this business. They've killed every mom and pop shop you know out there and they're too big and too well entrenched and uh, you know it was disheartening but again being a a hot-headed italian at one point uh this group we were uh presenting to the guy was pretty adamant that we were, that i was unhinged uh with reality didn't realize that this thing couldn't work even though I explained all the metrics of why it will work. And at the end, I, towards the end, I, I touched him on the shoulder and I said, hey, you look like you're a pretty limber guy. And he said, what the hell does that mean? And I said, because you're going to be kicking yourself in your own ass in two years for passing this up. I pretty much got the bums rush, although I'm a big guy, nobody really gives me the bums rush, but it was pretty much get out, get out. Um, funny part of karma is that two years, probably to the day almost, uh, I was inducted into the Entrepreneur Hall of Fame in Chicago, and the poor bastard that had to give me my award was this guy. <laughs> and so I, I leaned in when he gave me the award, and I said, hey, ready to start kicking? <laughs> and he made some disparaging remark about my lineage, and... Uh, but anyway, that's how stuff works. You know, the, the experts that say, oh, this is a stupid idea. Well, I think Mark Twain said, you know, a crank 
is somebody with a new idea until it succeeds. Yeah. And everyone else who's not in this room thinks differently. They think like, this is the world. The world is what it is. Everyone else in this room thinks about, this is what the world could be or should be, and I'm going to be part of making it what it should be. Yeah, I love that story. And yeah, yeah. And you know, this, <laughs> this, this conference is about being an agent of change. And I think on, that's what entrepreneurs do, right? They transform the world through the things they, they do. And, yeah, and, and everything, that's, everything we have, everything that exists that's not natural is started with an idea, some guy with an idea. And that's why it's important, I think, for you guys to take your ideas and write them down speak them because if you don't speak them they don't become real you know napoleon hill said thoughts are things and i was like well, does that make sense but yeah it does make sense without the thought it can't become a thing and uh and without you talking about your idea there's no fear and without you know not caring whether there's fear it gives you the ability to say Hey, I don't care. Tell me it's a bad idea, but I think I'm going to keep doing it until I believe it's a bad idea. It's great, great advice. So I, I was really honored this morning when you told me you actually have read about half of my book already. You got it last night? Yep, I had nothing yesterday. better to do. I, no, very, actually, <laughs> he, he got up really early this morning, right? Yeah, I usually got. get up around 4.30 every morning. Uh, and I spend the Believe it or not, I spend a lot of time on YouTube and I keep going down different rat holes, you know, like learning about gardening, learning about ancient civilizations, learning about we do that at geometry. Our <laughs> and, you know, and I keep getting fed, you know, Google keeps saying, oh, he's interested in math. Give him these, you know, and then now he's interested in intermittent fasting. Give him that, you know. So but so I the part of the C thing is I like to take in a ton of information. I'm. I'm ADD, and my wife says, you know, I'm ADD. I agree with her. I'm ADD. And I need constant input. And, and if I don't get it, I get squirrely. So first thing in the morning, I like input. And I like to learn about things. And then, you know, I'll see something and go, you know, <laughs> that combined with that is something that didn't exist. Yeah. And... You know, Connecting I to, the dots. Yeah, I try to take the analogy where, like, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, you're walking through the desert, you know, like the Sahara Desert, and up ahead you see the wind has uncovered something, and you're pretty sure it's, you know, a, it looks like a, a laptop computer. Hey, that's pretty cool. Further up ahead, there's something you don't quite make, you know, uh, sense of until you get closer, until the opportunity unveils itself, and then you go, that's new. That's new and that's old, and the two can become something even better. Um, so it's not like you can't go back and say, hey, I have a great idea. It's a, it's a program where you know, it'll run your software on your computer, and they use these things called Windows. It's like, done. It's already been done. Or you know, we can vend movies out of a machine, done. But there's something new. And it's going exponentially. I mean, the, the ability to find something to latch on to is you have to really be dull not to see the opportunities because they're all around you. Yeah, just look for them. Uh, 
I love that. And so now you're, you're, uh, the opportunities you're looking at are, is, is the, the um, not vending, but automated retail solutions. Yeah, vending sounds it, like, you know, like I a know, screw that, machine and drops yeah. in. This I'm is so, yeah. high. It's more like Amazon Go. We have like right. an autonomous retail product. Uh, um, it's better than Amazon Go. Um, cheaper than Amazon Go. Um, so tell us what you're doing. What are, what are some of the things so you're working on? My partner, uh, Franz, and I, after we exited Redbox, we bought part of a company in Sweden called Instant Systems that was actually doing DVD for Europe. But by the time, you know, the Europeans use credit cards way differently than we do. And by the time, you know, we got traction, that whole DVD thing was passing. So we we decided to use the software that we had and develop arms and legs for the technology to do uh, uh, retail. But having come from the robot world, uh, we're like, robots, you know, they're terrible. They, they work, but they break down. The, what doesn't break down is the human hand. So, you know, we have these coolers and you access it with a, either our app or with a credit card and you open the door and it's like, now you're in your refrigerator yep. at home and you go, yep. I want a drink, and I want an apple, and I want this. And when you take it, all that stuff is being calculated by vision and weight load cells and saying, all right, inventory has changed. Here's what's on your card. Go and enjoy. But it also reports back to our back office so that, you know, people can run thousands of these machines from a terminal where a guy sits there and looks at a map of the U.S. with all the little dots on it, and all the little dots are green except this one turned red, and he can click on it and say, this is low on inventory, and he can send somebody to do inventory for it. So it's really cool. The nice thing about the business is that, unlike Redbox, if we screwed up the DVD business, we were done. We couldn't vend, you know, gold coins or something from it. With this, there's it's, you know, food. It's we have a product that does uh, rental of athletic equipment. We have uh, uh, containers that you know, will ship product to a location that people can understand what what their inventory status is in remote places. It's uh, security for people to stop this rampant theft stuff that's going on. So it's a little bit of everything. So to to screw this one up would be I'd really have to try hard. Which well, is why my partner said, don't do the speech today, because he said, the only thing that could derail us is your mouth. And I was like, <laughs> eh. Well, you're, you know, you're among entrepreneurs here, so we're talking the same language. But what I, what I find interesting about this, I know it's, it's, these have been popular in Europe for a while, and I've had a number of students over the last five or six years who have had this same idea. But the difference is that you've got, you're, you're able to connect the dots on a lot of experience with the idea and take action, you know, which is the do part of everything. I mean, it's all, yeah. it's about execution, right? And it's about keeping going. Yeah, we so, baked this cake already, so it's pretty easy yeah. to rebake it in a different flavor. But uh, yeah, and so you, you know, got to do, you got to take action. You got to do, and you got to, you know, you got to ask. Like, you, you know, like they said, ask for help. Yeah. Um, when we were first doing Redbox, one of the guys that was doing legal work for us for free, <laughs> he, he kept going, I've never seen anybody like you. He goes, you are the king of free. He goes, you get so many people to do that are in business giving you free things. 
And I said, I ask. Yeah. You don't ask, you don't get, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> everybody's human, you know, even businessmen. Yeah. <laughs> and they want to be able to help, especially if, you know, they, like for me, I, I the reason I come here is not be, for any other reason other than that when I was doing this, there was nobody. There was no place for me to go. Nobody, in, you know, no safe harbor, no safe haven, no resource. And uh, so the only thing I could do is read books and figure out on my own where to go. But you, you guys got such a leg up on where I was because there's so much going on. And this ecosystem is so vibrant and growing that, uh, you know, it's cool. It's cool yeah. to be an entrepreneur nowadays. Yeah, it is. And the, the uh, organizations like this didn't exist when I was young, too. So no. it's, it's really great to see this. And, you know, I think it, I'd love to open up maybe for a few questions sure. from the audience. We've kind of gone through some of your background, but I know there's probably some questions out there. So um, I don't know. if Do we have a mic that's going around or do we just... Um, how, how, do we, we got a mic? Right mic there, stand. Right over there. Oh, mic stand right here. Yes. Thank you, Ryan. So if you have a question, feel free to come up and, um, and ask uh, Mike. Have no fear. Yeah, that's right. Hi. Uh, hi. Thank you so much for presenting. My question is, what would you tell people who don't know whether they should continue pursuing their idea or not? Like, when do you know that an idea is like a failure or like it's time to move on to something else? Uh, that's a hard one to answer because most people will tell you it's a bad idea when tip from the start. So you're already starting out with a negative headwinds. And uh, so in my case, you know, we we saw that somebody else had already hit the space that we were looking at, and I could have walked away and said, done. But, you know, it's like everything. You, you can put stuff on a back burner and still let it churn. But eventually, you know, if it doesn't really catch fire with you at some point, you know, kind of got to decide what you really want to do. But if it's a good idea, uh, you might find the application, a, a different application for the good idea. And so I really, it's a, it's a personal thing. I, I don't know. I mean, there were probably a dozen people working on DVD kiosks when I was. In fact, every one of them has come up to me and said, you stole my idea. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. Even people who never even did anything, they would say, oh, you stole my idea. And I said, well, did you ransom your home and, <laughs> and give everything away for years to make it happen? No. And I go, there's the difference. So I... I just say persevere, and uh, eventually you'll know. Either you'll lose interest or you'll find something that's even more interesting. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. First and foremost, thank you for presenting. Really appreciate your time and getting your wisdom and knowledge. Uh, my question is, if you could go back in time and you could talk to your younger self, what advice would you give to yourself? Do it sooner. Do it sooner and uh, put your whole heart into it. I, I was dabbling in entrepreneurship at a very early age. I was in college and uh, I happened to run across a guy that owned apartment buildings and 
I was on the football team at the university, and he, uh, he was a booster, and he said, hey, you want to make some extra money? I said, sure. And I, uh, I would paint apartments for him. But he said, I'll give you 100 bucks for apartment, but you've got to pay the got to buy the paint. And I was like, I really don't like painting. So I found some other guys on the football team that would paint it for 20 bucks each. The paint cost me another 20 bucks and I kept the balance. So <laughs> early on I realized, hey, it's much better when somebody else is doing the work and you're collecting the money. So I would say do it sooner. And in some cases, at some point in time with your idea, you have to be like, Cortez, you know, when Cortez came to the new world uh, to conquer the Aztecs, one of the first things he did was burn all his ships that brought them there. And obviously, most of the people that were with him thought he was insane, but he said, there's no way home. Forward. That's the only way. And at some point in time, you got to be like Cortez and go, okay, I'm burning the bridge. And one last question, what do you see in the top 5% of elite performers that are willing to do what 95% of people aren't willing to do? Not give up. Not give up, not care what, I mean, basically not care what people think. You know, and uh, entrepreneurs tend to be, I kind of like to think I'm a people person, but you know, I've been told otherwise. uh, but I, I know for a fact that I'm a result guy, you know, I'm a goal guy. It's, uh, I'll run you over to get to my goal. And that's kind of the way you got to be. You got to be a little ruthless. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, hey there. You, you said uh, the only thing that will derail us is your mouth. I thought that was really funny. And, and I, I'm running a very small team, but... I run into this problem all the time. I realize there's so much weight to the, to the vision that you're projecting. And I don't know how you bump into that equation in your life, but how do you set up some guardrails for like what you say so that you can be more efficient with every word you speak to your team? That's my question. Yeah, I don't care. I don't, you don't care? I don't care. I mean, and I've, I've proven that time and time again where I don't have to worry about, you know, you know, my, my son, when he was in college, uh, somebody wrote a book called Shit My Father Says. And, the, and this guy who knew me goes, hey, did your dad write this book? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, he should have. But uh, part of being an entrepreneur is not really caring what people say. And I say a lot of things. Some things aren't great. Uh, but others, you know, I think are okay. But you can't, that's part of fear, I think. If you worry about derailing stuff, you know, because of your mouth. Uh, but your mouth is also the thing that gets you where you want to go. Sure. So it's, it's a difficult question. And my wife, had, she wished I would check the, uh, you know, I have a really quick knee-jerk reaction for most comments. Some are funny. Some are like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. But it is what it is. So... I'm not changing. Do you mind if I ask a bit more of a refined question then? Sure. What are your processes for leadership? Like, how do you how do you keep the project in line? So the way I because the way I like to form a a team, let's say, is um, I'm like Dr. Frankenstein. You know, I I you need one head, you need two arms, two legs, body. You don't need two heads or four arms. So 
I try to find people that are good at doing what I'm not good at. And it's very easy because I'm not good at a lot of stuff. But there are some things I'm good at. And recognizing what your strengths are and the strengths of others is an important part of team building. Otherwise, you just butt heads with people because they have a, this is my idea, this is my opinion. Well, and the other part of it is I think leaders aren't kings, you know. You can't go into a situation with a team and go, damn it, we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I usually go by consensus. You know, the, the, it says the, in the book of Tao, they say when a, a true leader does something, the people go, we did this. You know, it's not, I did this. Um, so... That's kind of how I approach it. Uh, and I let people have their say. Okay. Because they're not slaves. I mean, no, yeah, of course. they have a choice to go either follow you or not. And if you, you know, if you burn them with a blowtorch, they're not interested in following you anymore. You know, it's, so you got to, so. You got to keep things interesting, yeah. Keep, well, that's not a problem, but uh, yeah, you got to, <laughs> you got to keep things uh you got to kind of see see it from the other side, from their side. You know, when I was doing this, I was in debt up to my you-know-what and had no money to spend. And part of the, you know, talk about fear and conquering fear, but every Sunday night, every Friday afternoon, my partner and I would drink a beer because then I knew the collection calls would stop for, for money. Every Sunday night, I couldn't sleep at all. I would be in the fetal position because I knew I owed a quarter of a million dollars that I didn't have to pay back. And I would sit there and I couldn't tell my wife that I owed a quarter of a million dollars because it would have been frying pan, divorce court, whatever. And uh, that's lonely. So you can't, you've got to check your emotions as a leader. You can't tell everybody, hey, we're screwed. Because if, if they believe that, they're gone. Because most people aren't, you know, they want a safe position in life. They don't, they're not like, you know, yeah, I'll do this and maybe I'll burn doing it, but I'm going to do it. So. Yeah, that last bit really hit home for me. I appreciate that. Thank, okay. thank you for talking. All right. I think it's an honor to meet you. And I just want to know how did you get the licenses for all the movies um, from the multiple studios? And how did you get the contracts like at Walgreens and stuff like that? Uh. So how did we get the, the contracts for the first? Well, the licenses for like the movies, right? You have to get the licenses. Well, at first we started to deal with a distributor uh, called Ingram, and we bought movies through them. And as we got uh, bigger and bigger, uh, what happened in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, uh, most people that got DVDs were buying the new one every week. They were buying a new one and having, oh, now I have a library of 200 DVD movies. And it's like, now you got $4,000 worth of movies and you're going to watch them once in a while. So people quickly started going, I'm not doing that. So they stopped buying so many movies. But we started, we kept growing. So the studio saw their sales and our rise as being the cause. So they said, no more movies. We're not giving you, you can't sell these guys any movies. So uh, what we did is we had all our field service people go out to Walmart and buy every movie they had that came out. (laughs) (laughs) 
and then they went back and put little labels on them and put them in the machines. So quickly, the studios realized that Walmart was doing way more business than they'd ever done before, and, uh, and we were the cause, so they told Walmart to stop selling us. And Walmart said, nah, I think we'll just stop carrying your movies. And they were like, well, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe you can still sell to them. So it kind of wound up in a lawsuit. Uh, we settled and then did a rev share. But that's how the, to that happened. With regards to finding locations, you know, that's kind of a, a, an interesting story, but I don't think I'll tell it on camera. So, uh, you know. Uh. <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, Mike, I just have another couple of questions before we close. Are there, I guess if any, if any other students have questions come up, we've got just a minute. But you've had a partner, the same partner through all these businesses. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, actually, so Codell, he was not my partner, but I ran into him at a customer. And I was like, I like this guy. He's a smart guy. And for an engineer, he's, you know, not, you know, he's got some social skills. Let's yeah. put it that way. Uh, and we start, I started to mess around with this flat panel speaker technology, and, and I needed some tech guy to help me out. And uh, I said, hey, come with me, and uh, I'll, make you, you know, I'll make you rich. Less than five years, I'll make you rich. And he said, okay. So he came with me, and I gave, we built a business, and he wound up with you know, half the company. And... Uh, of Redbox, at least our portion of it. And uh, then he moved on to, he's Austrian, so they went back to Europe to mess around with the Swedish company to do DVD uh, development there. And uh, now he's back here in the US and actually happens to live in Marco, not too far from me, yeah. on Marco Island. And uh, yeah, we're, we're a good fit. Uh, my The third partner of ours is Swedish and uh, when I was, going to visit the factory for the first time, uh, they said, hey, Christian, what's this? What's Mike like? And uh, Christian goes, picture Franz, who is my partner. And then, and then he says, now picture the opposite. <laughs> well, I was just going to, I was going to ask you because I've seen a lot of teams fall apart. I've seen a lot of people try to build teams. So you looked for somebody that had the skills you didn't have, right. probably. Were there were there other things? Because it's such a challenging relationship. Yeah, he, a lot of well, times. he's a very you know calm guy, and so again, I'm not your a calm guy. <laughs> right, and so uh, and and he'll I'll get in trouble, and he'll go, "It's Mike." You know, uh, I did a speech once and was interviewed by some television station, and happened to say I started this company to bankrupt Blockbuster and. You know, my son, who happened to be working at Redbox at the time, calls me at four in the morning, and he's like, "Did you give a speech yesterday?" I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "Did you say you're gonna you you did it to bankrupt Blockbuster?" And I said, "Yeah, it's true. You were there." And he's like, "You can't say that. I just got a call from the president of the company first thing in the morning saying, uh, you know, tell your dad to stop saying that. No company would ever say that." And I'm like, "Nah, I'm not gonna do it." So he, he goes back to the president and he says, hey, you've met my dad. You think I can control him? So <laughs> so you and Franz were a good team. 
we're a good team, and uh, you know he's very he's very methodical, uh, and I'm uh, you know kind of out there with thoughts, ideas, uh, energy, and and I'm probably more of the sales marketing guy, and he's more of the this is what has to happen. He's the other you know the perfect part of the Frankenstein, you know. But I would say, uh, it's p pick your partners wisely, right? It's yeah, very... it's like a wife, you know, and same same goes with funding. You know, I, I, nobody wants more than one wife. I mean, that's trouble. But uh, and we have multiple partners and multiple people with their financial interest in it. You know, you you really become a slave to their interests and not your interest. And you know, I would highly recommend you guys bootstrap as far as you can bootstrap because traditionally after the third round you wind up working for somebody else your idea their company yeah so yeah. the longer you can prolong that the higher your valuation can be and the more you can retain control if yeah. that's what you want so i always like to end the podcast by asking if you had one piece of advice or you know one thing that you would want to leave with this audience what would it be You've already given us a lot of great stories, a lot of good, good advice. I think. But. Yeah, I think go back to the fear part, where you know fear stops us from doing everything, from approaching somebody who might want to date or to ask for help on something or an idea or whatever. And you know, a lot of us think that our family is going to be the perfect sounding board for your idea, but they're usually not. I mean. You care what your parents think, most people do. Uh, and if they come back with negative, a negative reply, you know, that's, that's hard to take. So uh, I would say don't care so much about what people think. And great don't advice. be afraid. It's great advice. And I, as I mentioned to you, I think chapter eight in my book. So if you haven't had a chance to look at it, and I know a lot of you got the free ebook, but chapter eight, that's what I talk about, fear of failure. And, and uh, I think it's, it's very common. We all have it, but we have to overcome it. If we yeah, I have to anything. say, if, if you haven't got the book or read the book yet, this would be the wisest choice of a couple hours that you could make as an entrepreneur because it boils down, you know, it's funny, I read it and I'm like, hey, I did that. Oh, that's me, huh, you know. <laughs> well, you and all the entrepreneurs I've known have inspired it, so thank you for your contribution to it. And I uh, have really enjoyed talking to you. I know that there have been a lot of great lessons in this. I know Mike will be around for a little bit before he drives back down to his beautiful home a few hours south. I'll be over here at the table afterwards, but thank you for your time. Thank hey, thanks you, Mike. Thanks for having this me. awesome. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.